Welcome to the DevOps Diversity Podcast, the all-inclusive place to talk people, process, and technology for enterprise transformation and modernization. I'm your host, Connor Dellenbank. Today's episode is brought to you by Strategio. Strategio is dedicated to increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion for underrepresented and underserved groups within enterprise IT. Strategio sources STEM graduates from universities across North America, invests in paid training and relocation, trains in skills including cloud and DevOps, site reliability engineering, full stack development, cybersecurity engineering, and data science, and then delivers these highly trained technologists to enterprise organizations on a one to two year contract to hire program. If you would like to find out more about the Strategio program, please go to strategio.tech. And today I'm here with Lisa Schisler-Smith, who is an engineering manager at Netflix and a director for Women Who Code. She lives near Raleigh, North Carolina with her husband and their five children. She is passionate about inclusion and diversity and has spoken to groups large and small about recruiting and retention. Outside of work, she enjoys cooking, video games, desk dancing, and all things small. You can find Lisa Schisler-Smith at Lisa A.D. Smith on Twitter or Smith Web Smith on LinkedIn. Lisa, how are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Really glad to have you here. I really liked your mentality when it came to diversity, equity, belonging, inclusion, and we just had such an organic discussion that it was only right to get you on the DevOps Diversity podcast, hear some of your thoughts, your journey, and uh, everything that you're up to in the space of technology and also supporting people from an ally perspective or anyone else who, who might need it in technology. Thank you, it's my pleasure to be here. So Lisa, take us through your journey to today. Where did you start and how have you got to the point that you're an engineering manager at Netflix? Um, well, I have what can cheerfully be described as a non-linear career path, which I consider to be a feature and not a bug. Um, I feel like the more diversity I can bring to uh, a job situation makes me just that much more uh, empathetic and understanding of a variety of perspectives. Um, in my ill-spent youth, I was a librarian. Uh, I have a master's degree in library and information science from the University of North Carolina, and I spent time as a practicing librarian. Um, but through the course of that, everyone who met me and when they learned I was librarian was like, really? And people who knew I was librarian who were also librarians when they found out I was a catalog librarian were like, really? So after a time, I began to suspect that there was a type mismatch between person and job. And I leaned into my affinity for technology. Um, I taught myself how to code and a wonderful, uh, sympathetic, understanding employer took a chance on me. This was of course also back in the day when you could wrap your arms around the whole of the internet. Um, so I just took that first job, grabbed it with both hands and learned, just continued to learn uh, on the job. So I was a uh, a webmaster back when that was a thing we were uh, for the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill General Alumni Association. That's my first tech job. And uh, I've been doing that, I've been writing code since before there was a Google. So I've been around for a while. Um, I, among other things, I was an online coordinator for a newspaper. Um, I was a web consultant for a school district in South Carolina. 
I was a consultant for a poorly managed government software project. That's how I moved back to North Carolina. I was a webmaster or technical webmaster for a hospital. I got my first PHP job without ever having written a line of PHP professionally by uh, crushing my way through an example exercise. I had a really good time building it. And when asked uh, what my weaknesses were, I admitted PHP and they said, we can teach you that. And they did. So I learned from that job and I built uh, just a giant number of bespoke content management systems for an agency. I did that for a number of years, two different agencies. Uh, I moved to a, a large e-commerce concern and worked on their website. And that was kind of exciting to be one place and work on the same website for more than a few weeks. Um, and while I was there, I had founded uh, our local chapter of Women Who Code and met a company through corporate sponsorship and told them that I would like to work for them. And they remembered that and called me and said, hey, we're looking for senior engineering talent, but we're also looking for people who are interested in becoming engineering managers. We're, we have the bandwidth to take on people who have leadership experience, but not necessarily management experience and turn them into managers. Are you interested? And since I talked to groups about taking chances on jobs that you might not be 100% qualified for, I couldn't really turn that down. I would be a giant hypocrite if I did so. So <clears throat> I took them up on that offer. Um, and the, the proffered mentorship did not materialize fully, but I did learn quite a bit on that job, uh, a trial by fire type situation. I managed several teams. Um, and after um, a couple of years there, uh, Zapier, reached out and recruited me and I was an engineering manager for there for a couple of years. And then Netflix called and asked if I would like to join them. And Netflix is one of those places that when they call, you definitely take that call. And you can't, you can't avoid that. You, you, you can't, don't, you don't you uh, ignore the Netflix recruiting team. That's, ex <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, and I had been, I had been hesitant. It hadn't even been on my radar because primarily they were, uh, physically located in Los Gatos, California, and you had to be there to relocate. And with my family situation, uh, that would be like moving an entire city across the country. And that was not feasible. Um, so I'm not going to put any characterization around it, but then a pandemic happened and uh, everyone became more open to remote. And in fact, I was hired by Netflix specifically because of my remote leadership experience. Zapier was 100% remote since founding. And so I managed a global team um, at Zapier, which was slightly exhausting having all of the time zones, um, but did teach me a lot about uh, the intentionality of being a remote leader. And I joined with a cohort of about, there's about 35 or 40 of us remote leaders at Netflix and growing um, to help anchor that uh, hybrid work situation. And so I'm full-time remote. I stayed in North Carolina. I visit Los Gatos when it is safe to do so. And, um, and, and so that's where I am today. Um, I've also been um, a director for Women Who Code for four and a half, almost five years. It'll be five years this November. And um, that's been a really wonderful opportunity to both meet uh, exciting people talk to a lot to large groups, but provide that safe space and networking opportunity for uh, women and non-binary folks here in our geographic area. Um, I was always the only 
uh, woman engineer wherever I worked. And I figured if that was the case, that there were likely others in that same situation. And uh, I wanted people to have that opportunity that I didn't have um, to not feel quite so alone uh, and isolated. So um, because we're a little bit geographically spread out here, we have a very informal networking uh, once a month, typically in non-COVID times, we would have brunch. And that's just a way for folks to to hang out, make connections, talk to other uh, women in technology and sort of all stages of their career. We've gotten people into code school. We've gotten people through code school. We've gotten people jobs. We've gotten people promotions. We've made connections with people that have helped further folks' careers or education. And um, that's the thing that I take great pride in. Um, but again, my strategy is mostly pick a restaurant that I like to hang out at and um, put that on the calendar. So it's not like uh, there's a there's a big strategy behind my it's a, it's my programming. <laughs> so so the, the, thank you, by the way, for for sharing that journey so far. So many points that I have to to try and address because uh, you, you're so interesting. I've got to be honest. So it's like where do we begin, right? So let's start off with you were a librarian. Yes. And, and you're now an engineering manager at Netflix. Yes. And you didn't have a technical background. You taught yourself to code. Yes. Okay, right. That, that's, pretty, <laughs> that's pretty important to start with, right? I think, and it stems to one of the things that you were sharing, which was being afraid of applying to a job. I yeah. think that's imposter syndrome we're talking about, where or maybe not even imposter syndrome, maybe you don't feel included by the job post or that it mm-hmm. represents who you really are. So to, to hear you saying this right now, in 2021 saying I started off there and here's where I am that that is bang on what we're trying to show people with this whole podcast that anyone deserves an opportunity and if they're willing to work and it's it's on both sides it's really important to note that the companies have to take a chance on people which you mentioned in multiple times people have taken a chance on you yep you also said you took a chance and multiple times in your career ranging from most recently with Netflix I've got to respond to it Back to the times when you said, I'm going to learn code. I'm going to try and take a job. The PHP job that you didn't know how to write. You'd never written a line of code in PHP. Yet you took a job doing that. So all of those are pretty important pieces to think about. And I really, I'm just glad that you're here to share that and say, look at me. I'm right here right now doing this. And anyone else earlier in your career or mid-transition, you could be way into your career do a career Absolutely. transition. There's all these resources to go and learn code. If you want to do this, this yes. you could, they could be in your shoes in a few years if they wanted it. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think that's an important thing to remember is that like, whatever the thing is you're doing now, you could continue to do that for the next five years, or you could learn code. And in five years, you could be doing something else. Either way, those five years are still going to elapse. So it's not like that's going to change at all. So the choice there is whether or not you want to put the time and energy into it. Now, I say that with great privilege. It was a time when I was able to devote that time and energy to it. But technology, working in this space means that you are continually learning regardless. So if this is a place that you have an affinity for and something that you have interest in, definitely lean in. There's resources ranging, you know, from free all the way up to, you know, things that you can have your employer sponsor, but there are resources out there to connect you with the thing that you want to be doing. And it doesn't require the same amount of energy it used to, to find those things. It requires the energy to do them obviously, but there's not as much overhead in finding those opportunities. And networking is a large part of that. Like tapping into those local 
networks and local is almost meaningless anymore now because most things are virtual, but tapping into those networks and finding out where the resources are is probably the, the biggest lift. But that's really what Women Who Code exists to do is to make those connections a little bit easier, a little more straightforward, a little more obvious. Um, but there's always going to be someplace. And honestly, somebody who's switching careers has an energy that I, as a hiring manager, I'm very interested in because it shows somebody who is invested in their lifelong learning, somebody who is not afraid to take those chances, somebody who's been in a different sector of business will bring that experience along with them. And that's going to inform their decision. The thing that I find that's hardest to screen for in hiring is an empathy factor. What it comes down to at the end of the day is that we're writing software for humans to use. And if you don't have a certain amount of empathy there, that's going to lead to, we've all had wonderfully frustrating interactions with technology to keep those down to a minimum. If you bring an empathy to that, that um, informs your choices and your decisions um, that will help make that software that much better. And that's why diversity in hiring and in software engineering is so important. Those varied perspectives only help bring out a better product. They help you make better decisions as a team, as an individual, and they help shape an entire picture of, of what's important. What are the places where there are going to be pain points that you can either avoid or anticipate? Where are the places where you can add value, where you can make someone's day better? My team um, at Netflix is uh, internal tools. And so we get the opportunity to kind of be everybody's hero. We make everybody, every employee at Netflix, we make their day somewhat better. And that's you know a, a really great goal to have. Software does all kinds of things for people. Um, technology is a vehicle for a lot of things. But if you can get through your day-to-day -day a little bit faster, a little bit easier, with a little less stress, then that's going to be a more positive interaction. And that's entirely what my team's about. That's, that's a really, uh, it's, kind of, it's a nice mission to have uh, as a team. Yes. And it's clear that, that you're aware of that. I imagine that you leverage that mission in your, um, in your interviews and in your hiring process to make sure people understand we're not just building great technology products and services. We're actually trying to make this a better place to work for all Absolutely. of our colleagues. Absolutely. And there, there are plenty of people who, who don't, take the same kind of view for internal tools. And I get that. Like, look, I work for a shiny product that's a household name globally recognized. And there are people who want to contribute to that. I do, but I just do it in a different way. Like I don't have my hands on the streaming aspect of it, but everybody who works on that uses a tool that my team has built. Every person at Netflix uses a uses a tool that my team has built in some capacity, <clears throat> whether it's for you know, annual appraisal time or compensation review or the recruiting process, my team services the entire journey of someone at Netflix from recruiting all the way through. And so you're gonna interact with a tool that my team has built or worked on at some point during your time at Netflix. And that is what makes the bigger, the larger product go without these sort of services there isn't a Netflix to have, to, to be yeah, able to, to experience. You're directly We've, contributing to it. It's, it exactly. makes absolute sense. You don't have yeah. to be uh, making the exact features that we see on our screens or that allow us to directly access the, the platform. You are still contributing in every way to the entire company. And uh, I, where you're saying that you've been a part of this process, you're hiring people, you've had, you've had people give you an opportunity in the past, you've taken leaps in your own career in the past as well, even to now. So how does that directly 
um, impact your hiring process, even down to when you're looking at, I imagine you're, you're looking at non-traditional backgrounds from a very positive light. I, I may be answering my own question a little bit, but <laughs> where some people look at a resume and they think, well, this doesn't have computer science. We do engineering. How can, you know, they need a specific GPA from the top Ivy League universities, which I'm imagining that was the early days of Netflix was probably hiring engineers from those backgrounds. And now there's a shift in, we need diversity of thought. We need to challenge ourselves. We need empathy in order to continue in innovating. So how does that all apply to, to when you look at a resume or when you're interviewing people? Um, that's a great question. And I think um, I am, I, I don't know if I'm an anomaly or not, but I consider all comers. The things that I'm looking for uh, at, at, at Netflix are some, some familiarity and experience with the tool set that we use, but also at the end of the day, it's approaching problems and solving them with code. It doesn't have to do with specific languages or frameworks. I would love to have that experience so that you can hit the ground running, but also I'm willing to take time to absorb, you know, and give someone a ramp to, to be able to, to learn on the job. Um, that said, my team isn't well suited for early career engineers. I'm trying to work on that. Um, but previously, um, I've been able to hire people directly out of code school um, that have had zero professional experience. Um, and it's all about the onboarding and the structure of the team. The team has to be able to absorb that. Um, but everyone benefits from that. And in most places, a uh, senior engineer has a responsibility to mentor junior engineers. So I provide both, both with the opportunities that they need there. The junior engineer has the opportunity to learn from somebody who has vast experience. And that person who has that experience has the opportunity to share that and to be a force multiplier for other humans on the team. So it really is a win-win situation, but you do have to have the structure to support that. My concern the thing that I speak on most often is retention and retention is a little trickier than recruitment because retention requires an internal facing examination of your practices from top to bottom. How do you onboard people? How do you train people? What resources are available to people as they're working their way through learning? How do you support people when they, um, inevitably fail because we're all humans. How do you support people when they want to stretch and grow? Do you have opportunities for people or is it going to be the same job tomorrow as it was today? How do you show up for that employee? It's a two-way street. There's too often we regard employment as being this gift that we grant to humans. Oh, come work with me and I will compensate you. But also there's a responsibility on the part of the employer to make sure that that employee is safe and taken care of. And when they feel unsafe or recognize that they are feeling unsafe, that they have some support to be able to make it through that situation. So what is your internal support structure? How do you onboard people? Because if you don't onboard people successfully, you're going to create a revolving door situation and they will leave pretty quickly with a terrible experience. So making sure that you have that pathway and that um, that set up so that people can thrive and succeed is really the, the most crucial bit of that. So it's not just in the hiring and the examination of the human that you're hiring, but it's how have you set them up for success when they get there. And if you haven't done that work, then you shouldn't bring anybody into the organization. And too frequently, um, especially when you're in a rapid hiring situation, or if you're trying to scale quickly, that part gets overlooked. And that's where that's where trouble starts to happen. Yeah, it's it's too easy to when you're out there hiring so quickly, you know, blitz scaling, growing a company, 
everyone's hiring, everyone's interviewing to forget the culture and to yeah. also forget how to not just, oh, we found a great quality uh, technologist. We've got a great engineer in this team. Uh, what about the fact that now they don't feel included? They don't feel a sense of belonging in what you're doing. And that's something that it's really, this is, these are fascinating conversations to have, even for me personally right now, where I'm scaling a company, it's a new venture, and we're constantly, you know, we're hiring, we're looking for people. But I'm also, I really care about the culture. And the entire company is, our mission is to improve representation, diversity, equity, and inclusion for all people in enterprise technology, but specifically women and people of color. So I am at the forefront of what we do. So these exact discussions we're having, they always give me new ways of thinking. And one of the things I remember writing down, I still have it in some of my documents. Every time I write a job description for my internal use more than anything, to know what I'm looking for, to know who I'm going out yes. to find, I'm actually not just, because I remember the feeling of being an employee and what you said there, where it's the employee is, oh, we're being granted compensation. Great. But th there's so much more than just getting paid or getting good benefits. So I always write, how will, the first thing I say is, how will the person help us to uh, work towards our mission? I want to make sure the mission is the priority. How do they help that? And then how do we as a company, Strategio, make sure that we help that person's future growth and sense of belonging. That is just as important as the work they're doing for us. So it's not, here's your pay, we're great. Like we are the master, right? Which right. is a, the normal feeling in companies is like master and, and, and being given to like, oh, you're giving me something. Thank you for my payday. I think it needs to change, especially in this digital world. And I've never seen the hiring market like it is right now where so many people are Absolutely. jumping from company, right? Company Absolutely. to company. Everyone's looking for, like happy to go and work somewhere, take an interview. It's not because of money or there's more opportunity suddenly because we're in an economic boom. It's actually because people have had a chance to think and we've spent so much time at home. We now care about what matters to us on an individual yes. level, right? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's super crucial when you're constructing your job, your position announcement to consider those things. Like what are you offering? But also what are the qualities that you would like this human to embody? What are the most important qualities that will help your mission grow? But what helps your team succeed? And if you list out those qualities, it's far more uh, important than three to five years of experience with React or whatever the other random list of qualifications that you're putting in there. And frequently those job announcements turn into laundry lists of just so many things that no single human could embody them. And that's what turns women, especially off from applying for jobs. Women will only apply for a job when they have a hundred percent of the listed qualifications. And when you have a, a job announcement, that is a ridiculous laundry list of things. There's no way anybody could do that. Sometimes that list is uh, describing an internal candidate that already exists because we have to do that. But most times it's just, we're just going to chuck everything into this position announcement and hope for the best. Well, the only people that are going to apply for that are people who are, are either believe themselves to be qualified with, for all those things, and they're probably not, or people who are like, well, I only have 50% of this, so I'm going to try. And so that's what I try to do is encourage people, well, like, if you see anything in that job announcement that resonates with you, apply for that job. Lean in. What's the worst that can happen? 
they say no. Uh, apparently, I mean, that, that can be exhausting and I get that, but like there's, there's no harm in it, right? So apply for those. And then I go and talk to companies and say, listen, you're gonna have to change the way you're asking for people to come and join you because it's not working right now. It's getting you the same human over and over and over again, which is not going to make your path to diversity any better. So think about the things that are the most important. Is it that this person know this specific technology or is it that they have a pragmatic problem-solving mindset? Is it someone who can innovate? Is it someone who's owned products in the past? Is it someone who can prove that they've moved something from ideation through production? What are the things that are most important for this job to be successful? And it's probably not the three to five years of React. I got a job that was looking for three to five years of React when React was only two years old. (laughs) And so there was no one with three to five years of React experience. (laughs) So I went in and I said, look, I have a passing familiarity with React, but I can show you the JavaScript framework adoption and abandonment charts. And they look like the Himalayas, straight up, straight down. Every two years, it's something new, something new and exciting. So in two years, when this isn't the thing anymore, do you want somebody who only knows this one thing? Or do you want somebody with a proven track record of language acquisition? And they bought it and they hired me. <laughs> so <laughs> like that, you know, there, there's, there's only so much stock you can put in those years of experience. It doesn't always translate into success. Exactly. So think about the things that are the most important. What's going to move you forward? And it's probably not three to five years of React experience. <laughs> right, exactly. I, one of the things I've, because especially searching for fresh graduates, you know, no, no experience. I make sure I say there's no experience needed with these exact tools or technologies, but here are some of the things we will either teach you or you'll get a chance to learn. Just making it clear at the beginning that don't you, this isn't a laundry list, but this is so that you actually have an idea of the job. Yeah. Otherwise I could just put one line and just be like, apply for this if you really want it. That might exactly be, right. I might try that. That might be another new type Who of change. You could get somebody amazing that way. Somebody I'm going like, to do wow, that in the next so week. Exciting. I'm going to start doing it and just, cause I, I just want to see who people are. Because I, I think you've got to take chances. It, yes. no, no, I don't think many people that have made it to high levels in technology or any career have really got there through being the perfect, perfect graduate, right. perfect grades, all the experience. It's really about more than anything, some of the things you've mentioned, logic, solving problems, uh, mindset, ability to learn, and really being able to convince someone that you're actually going to try really hard to do the thing that they want you to do. I believe in this. I'm here because I care about it. Here's things I did to prepare to show you it matters to me. Enthusiasm. Exactly. Right. Those are things you can't put a price tag on and you can't train for that. Right. And also like most among us is perfect, right? We're all going to hit these places in our lives and our careers where we do not succeed, but it's how you come back from that. It's what you do with that. It's what you, how you take that experience and move forward. Like we're going to stumble and fall, but do you just lay there on the ground and say, well, that's it. I can't do it anymore. Or do you pick yourself up and figure out what you need to do next so that that doesn't happen again? Do you need to pave a smoother path so they don't trip on things? Do you need to find a more high-speed vehicle to move past these trouble spots? Like there's all kinds of ways that you can get past a difficulty like this. And that's really the hallmark of a successful employee. It's somebody who can recover and solution rather than all falls apart. I couldn't do it. It didn't work. And when you see that, 
it's quite easy to, when you're looking at a room of people or you're looking at people who've just joined the company and you see the ones that just give up, they don't believe there's more. They don't have that limitless thinking of I'm going to solve this no matter what. I think that's quite an important one, limitless yeah. belief and limitless thinking. And uh, I think a lot of us have exhibited that in our careers to get to wherever we are. And we can spot it quite quickly when we're interviewing someone. They just think, well, I, I, I spoke to a guy the other day and he was, he had finished a, uh, a full stack development bootcamp. And I was, okay, you've got, you've done this. What makes you different to other people that have done that? He started telling me all these problems he solved that were totally unique. It just, in this normal work world, he created ideas and solutions that he didn't need to do, but they made the whole thing move more efficiently for everybody else. And then he started telling me every day when I finished work between six and 8 PM, my wife isn't happy with it, but I study, I study every single night because it's so important. I want to get another job outside of what I'm doing now. And I just thought, Wow. So I gave him a list of things to learn and said, let's keep speaking. I think that you could be someone that would be an awesome asset to Strategio and to the customers we work with. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to go and do this. And then he messages me and updates me. And sometimes don't be afraid to just follow up and ask people questions. The fact that he messaged me a couple of times, I was in between other things. And I thought, I've got to respond to this guy. I can feel his passion through this. And I'm not saying go chase every manager out there and, and kind right. of annoy people because that can be, you've got to be careful with that. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes if you ask us once or twice, yeah. we might see you more than somebody else. So I don't Absolutely. know if that's the best advice right now. No, I think it's money, great but. because honestly, like, and the thing that I tell, and I actually I don't know, I teach a class about it, but like I, I work with a group um, and, and tell them how to tell your story because your resume, even if you've done a million things and had a million jobs like me, it needs like a cohesive narrative to bring it all together. Like the thing that I, the reason I became a librarian was to bring people and information together. And that's still what I do. It's just a different shape now. And so if you can tell me a story about the things that you've done or the things that you've worked on, either tell me why you did it or what you learned while you did it, or what are the things that you discovered? How many times did you fail before you came up with this solution? What was it that finally led to that breakthrough? Like, don't just toss a repo link in your, um, resume and expect me to go spelunking through your code for some gems. Like I need to know why, why do I care? Why do I care that you've given me the link to this repo? Well, because I use a novel set of tools. I taught myself something new for this. I solved a problem that didn't have a solution. I came at this because it was personally meaningful for me. I had something happen in my life where I needed this answer and it wasn't out there. So I came up with it. Like, tell me those stories. Those are the things that are compelling to me. Don't give me a recitation of the things that you've done or show me a list to your, your repo. Like, that, that's how I'm you not going to be impressed by that. Right? That's like, how it's you stand fine. out by, by coming up with the story. So <laughs> exactly. if, for whoever's listening and thinking, oh, yes. I, I don't know how to do find your story, find tell out what your, your why story. is, your it, journey it, to now. Exactly. And then tell people that, and then and yes. you can spell out, you have to make it look, look right on paper, on your LinkedIn profile. It yes. has to be the second you start speaking to someone, it's not, hello, yes, I started doing these tools and technologies. Nobody wants to hear that. They want to yeah. hear who you are, the, like the, the journey you've had to, to get you to the reason you're solving these problems. And then maybe by using those tools and technologies. Yeah. Tell me why, who, how, how did you get here? You know, like, why did you decide to go to cold school? That's interesting to me. You were doing something and now you want to be doing something completely different. What catalyzed that decision? What was it? You know, did you see a need that needed filling? Did you see, did you have an interest in something? Did you read a book or listen to a podcast or watch something on Netflix that just was like, oh, this is super cool. I need to learn more about this. 
that kind of curiosity is something that you can't, again, that's another thing that you can't train into somebody. So if they have that, if there's a reason, I want to know what it was, what, what caused you to do that? That's going to be compelling to me. And that's going to be something that I want to add to my staff, because at the end of the day, every piece of software is an answer to a question. It's a solution to a problem. And so I need to know that you can do that. I need to know that you can provide solutions to the questions that people have or problems that people are struggling with. Even if you're just doing a thing that's already been done, but you're doing it better or more efficiently or more quickly or more smoothly. Honestly, it didn't even have to be faster. If there were fewer like yeah, that's places, failures, that's right? Mistakes, exactly. Yeah. Then, then even if that's it's slightly higher quality. Experience. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't. Or it's have faster to be... with the same quality, but you exactly. still improve something. Right. I mean, so it doesn't have to be like you don't have to invent the next space shuttle. Like, but if you invent a new kind of zipper for the suits that the people that ride on the space shuttle wear, that's an important thing. Like, you don't have to come up with these huge, grandiose things. It's those little solutions. It's that little innovation. It's that little connector between two things, which is why, which is why Zapier was so appealing to me. It is that glue that connects things. And that's kind of how I function as an engineering manager. I bring people together. I tell people I have a lot of meetings that are essentially, okay, these two people need to talk to each other. <laughs> Let me figure out what they need to talk about so that that can be efficiently done and I can help them speed to that solution. But that's really what I spend my time doing, planning and helping can make connections so that the, the work can happen. And that, that's very on to meta. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, you, you, when you first um, mentioned that you had been a full remote global manager at Zapier, and that's one thing that Netflix was interested in. I think you mentioned that they hired, was it around 30 new yeah, full remote managers? Yeah. Okay. What, what do those people bring that's different to the uh, on-site Los Gatos managers or other location-based managers? I think it's, it's a couple of things. It's our, um, our communication skills because remote leadership hinges on a couple of crucial bits. And one of them is communication. One of them is intentionality. And so when you, uh, when you approach that geographic distance and time doesn't matter as much. If you can set up the system so that people can communicate asynchronously and make sure that everybody has the context that they need to move forward, that's the kind of thing that you need to be able to, you're not just relying on that serendipitous walking past someone's desk. Because honestly, the, the value that we place on that is far, it's too extreme for what we actually derive from it, right? Because heck, I could be up getting a cup of coffee or going to the restroom. Like I'm not going to, even if I'm in an office, I'm not going to be sitting at my desk every second of every day. And so to have this potential possible kind Magical of- Magical moment. Or right, exactly. I feel like those are, they're <laughs> mythical. They're, they're unicorns. We can collaborate this way through a screen just as easily as if we could if we were sitting next to each other. And honestly, like, I know that I can go get my cup of coffee and come back and be here in two seconds. Whereas in an office, uh, who knows <laughs> that that path is fraught with all sorts of other distractions. And I don't know what's going to happen there. So I can certainly, I can maximize my time that I'm actually doing productive things when I'm at home and helping people understand that that's, uh, that's okay, that you don't have to be in that same space to innovate or to collaborate. And, and so it's those kinds of things that I get to bring to this. We get to communicate in ways that are perhaps not as obvious, 
but are super important. And because we're communicating in these asynchronous ways, we also leave a breadcrumb trail for other humans to follow so that new people, when they onboard, have the context without having to experience that in real time. They can get up to speed faster. And the artifacts that we produce because we're not co-located or we're not sitting across the table from each other, those are super important. And those also can be found, appeals to my librarian heart. They can be a resource for somebody else. They can be turned into living documents or historical artifacts. There's so much that you can do with those things. And then people can self-serve. And if you can find that solution, if you can find an answer yourself, it's going to be far more productive if somebody sets up a meeting and tells you these things, right? Like you're going to be able, you know, the path that you took to get there, you know, the questions that you asked to find this thing. And then you have the thing that has the answers in it that you needed. So it's a, it's all about, it really is that intentionality and the systems that you set up for communication. And those are kind of the crucial bits that I think, and it's not to say that people who are, who are, who were physically in LG didn't have those tools, but perhaps that wasn't their focus because you're remote. You have to focus on those things and you have to set up your environment so that that stuff happens in a frictionless manner. And so, you know, setting up a new Slack channel takes two, takes two seconds, put spinning up a doc that people can share. It takes very little time, but it's super important. And it's that glue that holds everything together. Yeah, I understand. It's nothing to do with uh, remote versus office and they aren't correct and we are right. It's basically, share, yeah, you're sharing the, the, the benefits of this specific uh, way of working. And I can see those. I, I'm also building my company, although I'm in Miami and there'll be a number of people I hire here and I look forward to, to growing Miami Tech. I also truly believe in remote distributed teams and the importance of work-life balance, being able to work from anywhere and produce great work from, and also be really happy happy at the same time yes. or raise like in your case raise five children or walk my dog at lunchtime go go and go to your local coffee shop if you want to just whatever it takes to to be able to produce great work and be happy some things that you said there that i've really taken from this so by you've mentioned documentation and and really governance so by creating other formats that people can read and learn on their own so people are able to it's more scalable You've produced a scalable way of working that it's not. So if you're not there tomorrow or next week, guess what? There's breadcrumbs. We can now find the way to do the exact work that Lisa was doing. That's super important. One, one of the values I, I, I created when I was making the foundations of Strategio was think strategically, act scalably. So while we're yes. growing very quickly, we have to think long-term and think with vision, but we also have to act scalably. And by that, it's document whatever you're doing so that the next, but I talk to my internal systems almost as if it's a conversation. If I'm leaving a, a breadcrumb, it's to know that the next person can look at it. Guess what? Connor's sick this week. Well, it's fine. And so that means I can have more time in the future and the right. person doing the job can, can self-serve and learn and grow without me being there to, to micromanage every movement. Absolutely. And I think that's what great work-life balance is. It's not necessarily the number of hours that you do either thing, but how you feel while you're doing those. And do you feel like you can be sick? Because I've worked plenty of places where it was like, oh God, if I take a day off, everything's going to fall apart. No, no place should be that fragile <laughs> that, that somebody can't take a time, time off to do what they need to do. And frankly, 
selfishly as a manager, if you're distracted by something in your life that you need to take care of, I would be far better served by you going and taking care of that and then coming back rather than having it plaguing you because you're not doing either thing well, right? So like take what care you need to do for your life, for your family, whatever, that's the primary goal. And to be able to, um, you know, have that freedom and flexibility to take care of the things when you need to, because whomst among us again has not had a flat tire or root canal or something that needed to be taken care of that didn't happen conveniently outside of nine to five. So like life happens and to be able to handle that and to know that your team has your back, that's work-life balance. That's when you know you can take that time off. You can take a vacation. You can go and spend time doing the thing you do for you and your family without feeling like, oh, I need to be back at my desk. That's, that's the, that's my goal for my team. That's it. Be, being able to breathe, yes. it removes the stress, it removes the anxiety. And uh, you, you also mentioned in the, uh, in a, a previous conversation, the importance of, uh, so when we, when we spoke about diversity, equity, and inclusion, you can, you mentioned belonging in multiple points there. So uh, something I think we, you should educate me and our listeners on what, what is belonging? Why does it matter? Well, so belonging is that next phase. It's kind of the, 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 the top of the evolutionary scale, you know, diversity is the people that you surround yourself with inclusion is making feel everybody feel making everyone feel like they have a place, but belonging is like feeling comfortable and knowing that you have that place, knowing that if I have to be out sick, that somebody can take care of the thing that if I show up and bring my whole self to work, that people aren't going to be like what's happening here. I don't understand who this human is that I can show up as my true self and feel like I can do that comfortably. And like how much of myself I can bring to work doesn't have to be, I don't have to edit myself in any way to be able to show up. And belonging means that I feel like there are humans at my place of work that I can communicate with on a regular basis that understand that if I'm like, Hey, I have this thing going on. They're like, got you, you've got this. Belonging is that elusive, hard to define, but so crucial for people to feel like they are a part of that organization and that they are invested in moving it forward. Belonging is having your music playing in the break room and being like, yeah, that's my jam, right? Like I feel seen, I feel recognized, I feel heard, I feel like I belong here. And it's uh, a, a a lot more difficult to set up programs to make sure that belonging happens, but it's all of the paths, the paths that you blaze along the way. It's making sure that you have people from diverse backgrounds. It's making sure that they don't feel othered on a regular basis, but if they do feel othered, that they have the support that they need to get through that situation. It's the, it's the understanding that everybody has something about themselves that isn't just what they tippity tap on the keyboard every day. And that's important and that matters. And that if they bring that, they're going to be a better employee. They're going to make the company better because they're being true and they're not having to hide and they don't have to do, they don't have that extra mental overhead of having to like, here's my work self and here's my self self. And being able to have that unity is less stressful on people. People that don't have to hide themselves are naturally going to be more calm, productive, understanding, able to take things in and produce things out. When you have to like spend a lot of energy pretending to be something you're not, 
That's a lot. That's a lot yeah, of overhead. Being your full self is super important. And it's, Absolutely. Uh, there's so many things you've said that resonate with me. It's, uh, it's, it won't resonate with everybody. And I'm aware of that. It's, uh, if, if you've always felt that you belong, it may be because yes. you are from the same background as everybody that you yes. work with. As a, as a person that's mixed race in my life, it's actually quite common that I'm not the, the, the norm in a place. I, yes. I might be accepted or passed as, uh, okay, he's light skinned. So he's white. Or, you know, sometimes if you're in a full white co- company, maybe you're the black token person. You can be like, people think you're, but you always have something that you're not the same as everybody else. And, you know, I love being what is perceived as different to some people. I think it's awesome. I've always been able to own that and be proud of my background. I also have, you know, I have many times in my life not felt that I belong, but you don't tell people that you just go right. to work and you, you fit in, you assimilate. You're like, I'll just be the same as how everyone else is. They'll like who I am. But there's this really important thing that, yeah, when you can be your full self, the same way you'd be around your friends or your family outside of work. And when you can bring that same person to the office or to the, the online culture that you're working in, it's another level. You just feel so relaxed and you know that you can own what you're doing and not just that you're allowed to do it, but that people are happy with who you are. And it goes, it goes further. You you said it really well there. It goes to the beginning. You start with, so I always put representation in as as well as DE&I. So with representation, you represent all people. Through doing that, you then have the people being like, I can go there. That's a place where I will feel comfortable. You have then increased difference or a diversity in many different cultures, races, uh, genders, orientate, sexual orientations, religions. Awesome. We have all types of people here now. And then it's, okay, how do we include them? How do we offer advancement, give them ownership, uh, progression? And then how do you add on top of that? Now people feel that they belong because they had all the other pieces of the, of the, the pipeline that we're talking about. Well, and I think too, that what people frequently forget is that that sense of belonging lifts everyone up. It's that same, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. Like a project that I'm working on arose from our trans star uh, ERG, but it's uh, regarding name changes and, and how that process works internally. There's no central location for that right now. So I'm trying to establish that so that if you want to change your name for whatever reason, that you can go to one place and here is an expected timeline of events that are going to happen. Here's how long it will take. Here's what you have to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what we'll do together, setting those expectations around there and making that a lot more frictionless and also letting them know like here are places that I can affect change and here are places where change is either takes longer or we have to go through some extra hoops or whatever. So there's no surprises. So that one day you're like, Oh, I had to go into the system. I haven't been in six months and there's my old name staring at me. So that's clearly, it came from a, a certain population that had a desire that had, you know, expressed this concern, but anyone who needs to change their name for whatever reason, like I got married in January, I have to go through the process too. Now you're There's able to be... do that in a frictionless way. Exactly. So yes. like it brings something to everybody. And that's what belonging means that like, no matter what angle or vector you're approaching this from, that it should be as frictionless as possible that like, you know, or that everybody has the same thing that they need to deal with. And we can come up with a solution together. It's when you have that, like, oh, if you fall into this group, it's going to be this thorny pathway to, to stumble down and you're gonna to have to figure it out yourself. Yeah, sorry, you don't really, we, we wanted you to be here, but you don't really fully fit in. Exactly an, an, right. An example I get every time that. where that reminds <laughs> me that I am outside of the norm, even though I don't think I am, but it reminds me in society is 
ticking a box, what race are you or what ethnicity are you? And I don't, I don't mind ticking one. One is the problem. I am not one, right? right? There is right. no box for mixed race. There's always tick one and it's black or African-American or white. I am neither of those things. I am right. both of those two things mixed together. And it's exactly. on doctor's forms, government forms, employment letters. That is a perfect example of something that it, that it doesn't make you feel like you belong. It's, and I always complain to my wife. I'm like, oh, yet again, a form that makes right. me realize that I'm, I'm a different to everybody else. Absolutely. And like, <clears throat> we just had an experience where we had brought on a, a third party vendor and they were asking for personal information. And one of the things they asked for was gender and it was a binary dropdown. And I was like, really in 2021, this is the option that we're offering people. Also, it doesn't matter. Like, why are we even asking for this in this context that we don't need it? So like every form needs to stop and think about why they're asking that question, what they actually need it for, and then presenting as many possible options for people to express themselves as they can. And honestly, I work in technology. I know that we can give them limitless choices. Yeah, we like, can do that. There's, there's, there's no, there's no stopping us. It's and not it like we're wasting ink. Or and it doesn't matter if we, it, it, and then people will go, why does it matter? Why do we have, it doesn't matter if you don't like or do or don't like right. it. It right. You don't need it. It doesn't, it's not, why not exactly. go with it and make someone feel, instead of <laughs> exactly blocking right. someone feeling good, why don't you it's just not let about it you. That's what it's it, exactly. About, it's it could everybody. be about somebody else though. Exactly. So like, that's the thing. And, and I think, you know, that's part of that empathy that I'm talking about. Like, I don't want somebody to have to have experienced this necessarily to understand it. But if I'm setting up a form, if my team is setting up a form for the first time, I want them to really think about the information that we actually need to get in order to do whatever this transaction is and ask only that. There's nothing else that like, well, sure, we could gather all the possible demographic information for what? What are we going to do with it? A, because data privacy and information is super, is super important, but also like, why, why do we care about that? Does it matter for this thing? Like this was a, a do you have your vaccination status? It doesn't matter what gender you are, what race or ethnicity, it's a binary question. Are you vaccinated or not? Can you show me your card? Great, done, that's it. That's all we needed yeah, to do. We can move on from that, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly, so like, let's ask for the things we need to ask for. You know, but one of the things that we were able to do there is switch it from the requested legal name to name. And that's it because we can pull all sorts of information from our internal systems to be able to match that up and to be yeah. able to like make sure that we have whatever data keys we need without it intruding into somebody's space where it's like, oh, this is a name that I have to put on forms, but I don't want to. That's not who I am. So let's see if we can sort that out. So it's really, it is, it's thinking about it about what's necessary, but thinking about like, how can I make everyone feel included on this form? It's not hard. It's yeah, really, it's really it's very simple choice. I think we're, we're making progress, but we all have, a, a, we have further to go. And it's about being open-minded. It's about saying, yes. I didn't know this before and I now get it. And now I've learned. Yeah, exactly. I've learned and I'm fine with, I didn't realize it. Okay, cool. Let's go forward and just make someone else feel better. I, I use an example in a lot of my, my talks where, um, you know, we use language all the time, right? Language is very important, but it doesn't always mean the same thing to people, right? Like if I'm in a group of mixed company and somebody says, guys, I automatically feel excluded. That doesn't ring false to some people. It doesn't clang in their ears like it does to me. But also uh, we use the phrase 
grandfather clause pretty frequently all over the place, but not very many people know the origins of that and why it might offend somebody. So like, you don't have to know all those things, but if somebody points it out to you, or if you learn it, once you learn it, then you never stop hearing it. Yeah, so and then you work, like, you work to improve. That's exactly, exactly right. You don't have to know everything. You just have to be open to understanding that there are other perspectives out there. Just because it doesn't sound weird or off to you doesn't mean that it's not. And, you know, you, you can't take the tack of like, oh, well, they're just too sensitive. It's like, no, like that's a very real thing in their life. And you don't get to judge that. So yeah. let's all learn by, how we can do it together. Exactly. And by doing so, we're blocking the, the chance for our, co- our company or our, our organization to be exactly. higher performing because being more diverse means your team will be more high performing, which is the most base level thing that exactly. anyone should be able to understand. If, if you can't go with anything else, companies that are more diverse, it's proven, bring uh, products to market faster, make more money, return more money to their shareholders. So like, even if you don't have any altruistic bones in your body, you can be like, Hey, money dollars, money. That's it. Keep shouting about that. And people exactly are going right. to jump. <laughs> So, so Lisa, we're, we're about the time when uh, our, our listeners are going to hear some, uh, some nice Latin music kicking in, which means it's time for the quick fire questions. All right. So uh, if you had the chance, what is the number one thing you tell your younger self on day one of their first job? Oh, you, you don't have to know everything. And all of those people that you think know everything, they don't know everything either. I, <laughs> I worked for a long time for like a really old historical software. And I'm like, oh, they must have known better. They didn't know better than I did. They just, they were doing their best when they were doing it. And that's what you're doing now. So you can make awesome. it better now. <laughs> that's good. Number two, what is the number one personality trait that you look for in future leaders? Oh, I think we talked about this extensively, but empathy. I mean, if you can understand that someone else is going through a thing, even if you haven't had to deal with it yourself, that's going to be tops in my book. That, that, that's really important. Love it. And then uh, number three, what is the number one non-negotiable skill that you expect from everyone that you hire? Um, I think it's that uh, listening and growing. Like we're not all perfect, but you need to be able to take new information on board and and grow and adapt and change. You can't stay the same as you were. You can't, uh, you know, keep moving forward in the face of new information and not assimilate it and, and understand what that means. So you've got to be able to take it, understand. Awesome. Lisa, if it was up to me, I would carry on chatting to you all day. <laughs> you are so fun to talk to. I've been, I, I, you've seen me. I've been smiling in the background and laughing at the, the great conversation we're having. You bring so much good energy to this. Your thoughts on diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, your mindset as a leader and your engineering abilities to get you to where you are and just the, the jumps, leaps, risks you've taken is so inspiring. I've absolutely loved hosting you. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the DevOps Diversity Podcast. I've been your host, Connor Dellenbank, and today's episode was brought to you by Strategio. 